listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. I also want to say happy Father's Day to all of our dads and um, man, it feels good to be back. Uh, been gone for the last two Sundays on the Buffalo River trips, and it was we had a great group of dads and granddads and kids with us uh, going down the Buffalo River for the last several weeks. And so it's always good to uh, be home. And it seems like this morning we have some evil spirits running through some wires back there. But this morning I want to invite us back to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. While you're finding your place there, I I want to give my plug uh, for this Explore Bible study. It's going to be great, uh, and all five campuses are going to be participating. Uh, Everyone will go to the respective campus. Uh, Then each week, uh, one of the different campus pastors will open God's Word for us. Uh, So they'll be sent video feed, or when it's our week here, uh, I'll be sent to the other campuses. So we're going to be able to all participate in this all together. Uh, You can simply send the word Explore WH to get signed up. And we hope to have a room full uh, beginning Wednesday night at 6.30. We know this morning there are several teachings or maybe even principles that people affirm whether they're believers or not. Whether a person is a Christ follower, believes in him or not, there are things that we see in the Bible that everyone probably would affirm. For instance, take the the classic, the golden rule. Back to Matthew chapter 7, we'll be there in a week or so. Uh, Do you remember this one? Treat others the way you want to be treated. Whether you're probably a follower of Christ or not, that's something I think everybody would even affirm. I think those that are following Christ, those that are not, would affirm things like, hey, we should love our neighbors. Uh, Things like we should be able to be hospitable, uh, be inviting to other people, even be charitable and be generous. These are principles, whether people follow Christ or not, that we would probably all affirm. But today's message is one that is absolutely counter-cultural. It is one that is strictly biblical, we're going to see. And it's one that finds its way inside and out the church, that this is a message that is very counter-cultural. In fact, today, what we're going to talk about seems to be Jesus' number one topic. He talks about this subject today even more than he does heaven and hell, or at least what is recorded for us. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 19, and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and dust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For your treasure is, there your heart will be also be. The eye of the lamp the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eyes healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Let's pray. Father, this morning we do come before you on this Father's Day weekend. Thankful for the man you placed in my life to lead me, for the children you've blessed me with to now lead them. And Father, we need your wisdom, we need your strength and your mercy in all that we are called to do. And Lord, we come to your word now. Lord, we pray that this passage would not just be something that we hear, but Lord, this would be something that we wrestle with and we allow you to speak to us, to convict us and encourage us, to challenge us. So Lord, we need your spirit this morning to do that. Would you take the words today, Lord, that all falsehood would fall away and the truth would stand for us this morning. So give us eyes to see it, ears to hear it, minds to understand, and hearts to believe these truths this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. You know, some of the greatest movies out there follow this idea of treasure hunting. We love this idea of having something and going after it. I thought of movies like Romancing the Stone, kind of reaching way back. Or one of my, I love the, the music especially in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And it's this search for this treasure. Or even the, the comedy City Slickers. But then some of my favorites were like National Treasure. Seen them all. Huge Indiana Jones fan of searching for these lost treasures or one of the best movies ever, The Goonies. You know, these kids that are out searching for a treasure. But we love the idea of the thrill of gaining more and more. We love the idea of improving where we are by discovering something. But we need to hear from Jesus this morning in Matthew's teaching because he is going to show us Three things about treasures. The first thing we're going to see is that treasure can be a trap. Not only that, that treasure is actually, should all of us be a test that we need to wrestle with this morning. And the third thing he's going to show us is that we cannot have two treasures. That we are going to have to choose. But ultimately, this is what I hope that we will walk away knowing this morning that what we love determines how we live. That what we love, that is going to dictate, that is going to guide how we live. That our lives will reflect what we love and what we treasure. So we're in the process of selling our home. And we're not going anywhere. We're staying in White House. We're just downsizing. And, uh, but we're moving. And moving can teach you some things about yourself. And so we're boxing everything up, and there were certain possessions that I didn't want to just be put in a box. I needed them to be kept safe. And so we stored them in the office. And when I had these things all around the house, it didn't seem like that big of a thing. But when they've all been put in 
one location at one time. I was reading this verse that our lives will reflect what we love and treasure. And then I look against the wall in my office and this is what I see. And so it's easy to see that one of the things that, that I treasure when it was all put in one place all together. But what we treasure, it will dictate how we live because we will live for what we treasure. And then it's absolutely true that what we love determines how we live, that our lives are going to reflect it. We can't help it. And what we treasure will then dictate how we live because we will live for what we treasure. So look at the first point that treasure can be a trap. Look back at verse 19. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, including mounts, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. So everyone, no matter how little or how much we have financially, everyone has treasures. We have these things that we value and we want to protect. But notice Jesus is making a distinction. He says, do not store up or do not accumulate things that are only earthly. So what treasures is he talking about? Notice how he describes them. Things that can be destroyed by moth. Things that can eat our clothing. It even says rust, and that word means to eaten. A lot of times this is describing things that would come in to devour their food source. Thieves that come in to steal earthly possessions, gold and silver, all of those things. But he's making a distinction of not accumulating things that are only earthly. So here's Jesus, what he's warning us about is focusing, accumulating the things that this world tries to offer us that can easily be taken away. He's warning us about building our lives, our happiness and our meaning on things that are exclusively only for this life. But let me show us that Jesus, first of all, he is not condemning possessions. We all have them. He is not condemning wealth. I thought back through the people that we read about of Joseph of Armenthia. He was a wealthy man. Lazarus or Zacchaeus was wealthy. Both of those guys, Mary and Martha, they possessed wealth. So he's not condemning the things that we have. But I think he is warning us, speaking to us about noticing people that get their entire satisfaction to only the things that belong in this world. He's warning against focusing our ambitions and our interest and even our hopes and putting them only in the things of this life. So I think this is a warning that we need to hear this morning that we can treasure all kinds of things. We can treasure homes. We can treasure vehicles. We can treasure work. We can treasure vacations. We can even treasure family. But Jesus' point is this, that we cannot take anything from this world with us. We can't take our bank accounts. We can't take our images. We can't take our possessions. We can't even take 
or positions. And I think this is something we need to be reminded of because the draw of this world is so strong that we need to be reminded that we can't take any of this with us. And then I heard a story this week by a guy named John Ortberg. And he tells the story of his grandmother, that she was a ruthless Monopoly player. She was not the grandmother that would let you win. She was teaching them what it meant to lose. And she came at them with everything that she had all of the time. And she taught them one important lesson that was all about ruthless acquisition. That that's how you win. John says the days and weeks and months went by playing Monopoly with his grandmother. Well, they planned a trip and they met, uh, I believe it was at a cabin somewhere. And his grandmother was showing up. So he gets out the board, he sets up all the pieces, and in walks grandma. So they begin playing a couple of hours later. Finally, for the first time in his life, he beats his grandmother. And he's ecstatic. He'd never won a game. But she doesn't say a word. She takes all the pieces, puts them back in the little compartments, folds up the board, puts it back, and puts a lid on it. And then she said this. Now you're going to learn the second lesson. And it is even more important than the first. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. So think about how many things we can base our happiness and our joy and our meaning in life. And one day, it will all go back in the box. But notice the alternative in verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven that neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So then what are these treasures in heaven? Well, I think it's anything that we can actually take with us. Holiness of character or obedience to God's commands, the people that we share Christ with, those that we've spent time and we've discipled. We can take generous hearts. So this morning, it's an opportunity to think about what really, truly matters. That when one day we will stand before God Almighty himself and what will matter in that moment. To think about all the things I'm interested in and I'm passionate about that will not matter in a hundred million trillion years from now. They will be meaningless. So we need to be careful, Jesus is saying, about what we are treasuring because it can easily be a trap. But notice treasure is also a test. Look at verse 21. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And our heart is this description of your inner being, our, our total person, what makes us up. And he says, where your treasure is, there your total person will be. And I think he is telling us what we love determines how we live. That our lives are going to reflect what we love and what we treasure. And what we treasure is going to dictate how we live because we will live for what 
we treasure. And so this week, I spent some time personally thinking about this for me. There's some questions I worked through. I thought about what do I think about most of the time when I have nothing else to do? Where does my mind go? What am I most thinking about? I thought about what do I worry about the most? What do I dread losing the most? I thought, is there anything I feel that I cannot be happy without this thing, this possession? And in doing that, I was reminded of two things. One, I I need to be careful that I see myself, of all the things God's blessed me with, that I'm actually just a custodian and not the owner. But when I start feeling like I'm the one that has owned all these things, that's when I feel the threat of losing those. Because I think the issue is not how little or how much I have, but how tightly I'm holding on to what I've been given. Then I thought about this. I need to be thinking about whose glory am I promoting with what I have. Because notice the word picture in the next two verses. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light in you is darkness. And how great is the darkness. So the eyes got this picture of like being a window. And when the window is clear and it is clean, it allows all kinds of light in to illuminate all that's in the room. But when that window is tinted or it is dirty, the, the light gets hindered. And I think often when we're approached with a big question like this about what we actually treasure, we tend to want that window a little bit dirty because we're afraid of what it might show us. So the question for us, is there an area of our lives in reference to what we treasure that the window needs to actually be a little cleaner? So that treasure, it can, it can easily be a trap. And we can easily fall into that, but it's also to, meant to be a test for us to think about what are we truly treasuring. But then he lays down the gauntlet that you cannot have two treasures. You're going to have to choose because look at what he says. No one can serve two masters. You either will hate the one and you're going to love the other. There's no other alternative here. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And that word mammon actually means material possessions. But notice Jesus isn't saying you cannot have material things and also serve God. If that was the case, none of us would be able to serve God because we all have things. But notice he says we cannot serve God. God and serve money at the same time. So what does Jesus mean by serve? Looking into this word, I think the meaning behind it is that when we serve something, when we're serving it, we're believing in the things 
that it promises us. That's how you are serving something when we believe in the promises that it's making. So we serve money or, or possessions or material things by believing they can give us something, that it can give us something that God cannot. Like fulfillment, happiness, joy, satisfaction. So we serve things, we serve money, we serve possessions when we believe that they can give us something that God can't. Because think about it, we live in the most prosperous country in the world. In fact, we probably live in the most prosperous country in history. And when we have much in this world, the temptation is that we would look to find our security and our fulfillment and our happiness in material things in those rather than the God that gives them to us. When we have much, I think often we are tempted to love the gifts over the giver. So think about this. This is a hard question. What could be taken away from you? What could be taken away from you right now that would make you question God's goodness? I mean, what happens if you plan the vacation and it rains every day? And it's just a disaster. What happens when you get that new vehicle and all of a sudden something happens to it? You get the house, you spend all the, the money in it and all the time and sweat and tears. And it floods. What happens when you buy that thing and eventually it breaks just as it's out of warranty? What could be taken away from you that would make you question God's goodness. I think that might be an indication of something that we're actually holding on to too much. Because what we love determines how we live. And our lives are going to reflect what we love and what we treasure. Because what we treasure is going to dictate how we live because we will live for what we treasure. So I want to close with one question and an illustration. There's a man named Louis Giglio that once wrote a book called The Air I Breathe. And this is what he says. Everybody has an altar. And every altar has a throne. So how do you know who or what you worship? He says it's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. And at the end of that trail, you'll find a throne. And guess what's on it? That's right. What is of highest value to you. What you really love, what you really worship, what you treasure. And the trail, it never lies we may say that we value this thing or that thing more than the other. But the volume of our actions speak louder than our words. So he says, I have a question for you. What is on your throne? What is on your altar? What's at the end of the trail of your affections? What is your treasure? Where is your spiritual vision focused? Who is your master? What do you love? What do you care about?
Is your treasure showing? I want to assure you, it is. It's actually not a question of whether your treasure is showing or not. It is. The question is, what is your treasure showing about your heart? And that is why this message is so countercultural. Because the world tells us to follow your dreams and to plan big and have your vision board and search and go after all of these things. And I think it's so dangerous within the church because we tend to stand up against a lot of things. Man, we would look at something and, man, we want to stand against lying and we want to stand against deceit and we want to stand against gossip and we want to stand against stealing and all these things we would stand up against. But when it comes to materialism, it seems to be this thing we want to be silent on. In fact, a lot of times we could look at someone's life and say, man, that's a person of great leadership because of the things they have. But I begin by talking about some of the great movies of treasure hunting. You know, they're fun. They're entertaining. They can even be inspiring. They draw us in because everybody loves the idea of finding something that will make us better. But then... There are movies that there is one that showed me treasures can actually be a trap. The treasures are actually a test of what we love and what we value. And it shows us that we cannot serve two treasures. Because what we love determines how we live. And I thought back this week about a movie that came out in 1993 directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Liam Neeson, called Schindler's List. If you haven't seen it, it's one you must see. The plot line is this, is that there's a man during World War II when the Germans forced local Polish Jews into a ghetto, forced them all there. And a man comes to town named Oscar Schindler, and he arrives with the hopes of making a fortune. And he's got an idea. Being a part of the Nazi party, what he does, he bribes them so he can acquire a factory. He knows they're going to need things, and so he is about to make a fortune off of the war. Well, Oscar Schindler hires a Jewish accountant named Stern because of his connections in the Jewish community. And he knows that he can get cheap labor. Well, it doesn't take long, and he begins building an incredible wealth. His fortune is growing, and he is loving it. Well, during this time, a concentration camp is built in the city, and the reigning Nazi leader orders the ghetto to be destroyed. That day, 2,000 Jews were killed in the streets, and another 2,000 were sent to the concentration camp. Schindler witnesses this massacre and it begins to have this profound impact on him. But the pinnacle of the movie is this, is he begins noticing this little girl in a red dress. He notices her one day hiding from the Nazis. Later that day, he sees a wagon being pulled down the street full of corpses. And in that pile, he can see that little red dress. 
At that moment, Schindler's focus is no longer on building his fortune, but on trying to save as many people as he can. As the Germans begin losing the war, the Nazi leaders, they then ordered all the remaining Jews to the Auschwitz concentration camp. Well, Schindler, what he does, he asks permission to move his workers to a factory that he plans to build close to his hometown. Reluctantly, they agree, but they are charging extreme amounts of money. So Schindler and Stern, you know what they do? They begin writing down a list of names of 850 people that he is trying to save. And it becomes Schindler's list. Over the next seven months, he spends his fortune bribing officials to save Jews from death. But soon Schindler runs out of money. In 1945, just as Germany surrenders. And he saves 1,100 people. Well, the movie closes with this one final scene. After Germany's defeat, he's returning home. He's afraid he's going to be captured. So they wrote a letter, and every one of those people that he saved, they signed the letter, and he hands it to him. And if you get captured, we hope this will help. Well, Stern, his Jewish accountant and now friend, comes up to him and he hands him a ring that he had made for him as a thank you for the people that he'd saved. At that moment, you realize everything changed. But Schindler begins to think about those that he couldn't save. And he breaks down right there in front of everyone. He goes on to say, if only I had used my money more wisely. If I had not taken so many vacations, I could have saved more. I threw so much money away. He looks at his car and he says, that right there, that was 10 more lives I could have saved. He takes off his Nazi pen. He says, this is gold. That's two lives right there. I should have done more. And Stern looks at him and says, because of you, there will now be generations. And Schindler begins to weep as the people gathered around him. And I thought, what an incredible picture that shows us what we love determines how we live. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.